1 to 11. Is it up on the screen or just here? Oh, okay. I just didn't know. 1 Timothy chapter 1. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the command of our God and Savior, Christ Jesus our hope, to Timothy, my true son in the faith, grace and mercy and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. As I urged you when I went to Macedonia, stay there in Ephesus so that you may command certain men not to teach false doctrines any longer, nor to devote themselves to myths and endless genealogies. These promote controversies rather than God's work, which is by faith. The goal of this command is love, which comes from a pure heart and a good conscience and a sincere faith. Some have wandered away from these and turned to meaningless talk. They want to be teachers of the law, but they do not know what they are talking about or what they so confidently affirm. And we know that the law is good if anyone uses it properly. We also know that the law is made not for the righteous, but for lawbreakers and rebels, the ungodly and sinful, the unholy and irreligious, for those who kill their fathers or mothers, for murderers, for adulterers and perverts, for slave traders and liars and perjurers, and for whatever else is contrary to the sound doctrine that conforms to the the glorious gospel of the blessed God, which he entrusted to me. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So this evening, we're going to begin talking about 1 Timothy. And in 1 Timothy, uh, there's a couple of things I want to uh, discuss just briefly about the background. First, if you've never really studied who Timothy was, he was a disciple of the Apostle Paul. Uh, this is what they consider one of the pastoral letters. First and Second Timothy, and then that book of Titus as well, and one of the really small ones in the New Testament, were what they call pastoral epistles. Letters Paul wrote to other pastors, young pastors he was discipling. And the reason I like First Timothy so much uh, is it's practical, it's very relational, and it's very Christ-centered in a non-Christ-centered culture. Uh, and as I look around this world, and as I look around this place where we live, uh, it's becoming seemingly more and more non-Christ-centered. Um, sure, there are, uh, everything's closed on Sunday, which is nice, and the church bells go off all the time, um, but I'm not sure it's for Christ other than just tradition. And additionally, what's great about these letters, Timothy and Titus, um, where they were written at the end of Paul's life, we know that they're some of the last things he wrote. So in a way, it's almost like Paul's last bits of wisdom to his followers, to his disciples, to say, this is what's most important. Pay attention to these things, these, this is all the wisdom I have to give to you that you would be successful. And so I've chosen, over the next couple of months, we're going to go through this wisdom that the Apostle Paul had for Timothy. We're going to go through the things he taught and the things he emphasized for a believer, a young leader, and what he should focus on. So as we start this evening, please pray with me. Lord, thank you for this time. Thank you for your word from the Apostle Paul to Timothy. Thank you for letting us read it. Thank you for preserving it. 
Thank you that we can approach words written many, many years ago and that our lives would be changed through them and through the power of your Spirit. Lord, lead us and teach us this evening. Amen. So I've titled this sermon tonight, Myths and Vanity. Uh, Two things I think our culture really loves. We love things that aren't true, and we love to talk about ourselves. Um, And Timothy, really, what Paul is saying to him, encounters these two things very clearly, I think. But before we get to that, I want want to point out a couple of details in the beginning. And as I teach um, over the next couple of weeks and months as we go through this, If you're a visual learner, please have your Bible open in front of you so that you can see these things. Um, I like to go verse by verse through the chapters of Scripture. And so as you look, if that's how you desire to learn, uh, that's how I like to do it. So that's how I teach. But in verse 1 and 2, Paul gives an introduction. Remember, this is a letter. And Paul gives an introduction in kind of an interesting way. He says a phrase I actually never noticed before. It's just studying this recently. He says that he is an apostle by command. Have you guys ever noticed that before? I never have. Uh, And I'm not really just saying that. I know pastors sometimes say that to try to sound. I never noticed it. Uh, And I think I understand what he means. How many of you, now granted, we all love Jesus, and this is great. But how many of you do a job or do something or have a part of your life that you do not because you absolutely love it, but because you know you're supposed to do it. Um, This sounds bad, and I don't mean it in the way it sounds specifically, but I don't think I'd be a pastor if it were up to me. If it were up to me, I wouldn't be here right now. I mean, Switzerland is great, and I would love to live here somehow, but I would love to be in a cabin in the woods, and I would love to have a giant barn where I could build things and a giant garden where I can grow plants and food. And that's it. Maybe a nice library, you know, where I could read books and everything, but I don't think I would be a pastor. And so when the Apostle Paul says that he's an apostle by command, I think I know what he means. You guys may not remember this, but um, back in March when I preached here when I was visiting, I talked about Paul's conversion. Paul, when he encountered the living God, didn't have a choice. He basically said, this is what I need to do. The truth on his heart was so real and so powerful that he said, this is what I have to do with my life. And similarly for myself and for many of us, when we read the truth of Scripture, we realize this is not just good advice. We realize this is not just maybe something to pay attention to, but we've devoted our lives because the weight of it bears on our hearts and on our souls. And the Apostle Paul, I just love that detail. For some reason, I'd never noticed it before, that he says he is an apostle by command, that the Lord had commanded him to do this, and he is being obedient. And then he goes and calls Timothy this wonderful, beautiful phrase, his loyal child, or his true child of the faith. And I wondered about that. You know, Mentoring and discipleship will be something we talk about over the lot, a lot, excuse me, over the coming weeks with the book of Timothy. But do we have people in our lives? And I thought about this and I felt very challenged. Do I have someone in my life that I can call my true parent in the faith? My true brother in the faith? 
my true child in the faith, someone I am bringing up and mentoring and discipling. You know, at the men's breakfast this past week, I generally don't like those sorts of things. Um, It's early, and I just, I don't know. But I really liked it this last week because we had a really honest conversation. And as men, we were sitting around having breakfast talking about the need for honest conversation, the need for someone to be 100% vulnerable with. Paul calls Timothy a true child or a loyal child of the faith, a real, challenging, honest relationship. And the issue of discipleship, as I said, will come up many, many times. But what's great here and that I just wanted to point out for now is that Paul and Timothy had this relationship, I believe. I believe Paul and Timothy had a relationship where it was open and it was honest and they trusted each other to learn from each other. And it's a beautiful thing. And so as we move forward in this letter tonight, just keep that in mind. Keep that in mind, that relationship of why Paul was telling Timothy these things. Not because Paul was an authority and just Timothy did whatever Paul said, but because they have a loving, honest relationship where they grew together. And in a way, as you read it, Paul is kind of introducing Timothy, right? He says his loyal child in the faith who, he's, who God has called to do these great things. My true son in the faith. I love that. So moving on, let's look at verses 3 to 7 and, and 8 to 11, the bulk of this passage. Paul gives Timothy a number of things here that I want to talk about, four things specifically that are very, very important and I think are essential to understanding Christian leadership and Christian mission. The first thing, well, let's make a list. Let's go through the four first. He says to teach sound doctrine. He says, Timothy, make sure you are teaching sound doctrine and you are making sure other people are not teaching false doctrine. The second thing he says is do not devote yourself to myths or endless genealogies. Don't devote yourself to things that are a waste of your time and other people's time. The third thing he says that Timothy must promote love from a pure heart, good conscience, and sincere faith. And the last thing he says is that you must avoid these false teachers or these vain teachers as we'll get to talking about vanity. Most of us can see when a leader is seeking vanity, by the way. Um, And he tells Timothy to avoid these types. And I thought that this list, right, teaching sound doctrine, don't devote yourselves to myths, promote love from a pure heart, and avoid false teaching, this is a good list for a pastor. But then as I began to think about it and expand what Paul might be saying, I realized this is a good list for all of us. This is a true list for anyone in leadership. And before you say in your heart and in your mind, well, I'm not really a leader, uh, I don't buy it. (laughs) We're all leaders, and we're all looked up to by someone, and if we, not, we aren't, we will be. If you're a parent, you're a leader. If you're a friend and you have friends who are a few years younger than you, they look up to you. It doesn't matter who we or where we are in life. At some point, someone will look to us for leadership and for guidance. And I believe this list is a sound 
list that we all should listen to and pay attention to. Not just for a pastor, not just for a ministry leader, but for someone who maybe works in the service industry, for someone who's a student, for someone who's unemployed, for someone who's the CEO of a company. These are truths that we can all live from and learn from. So, number one, sound doctrine. This seems pretty basic. I mean, I think we get this. Uh, I do want to mention it, though, and talk about it a little bit more in depth. We have to understand what biblical teaching is. And this I say with a, a whole heart. If I ever, and I've known teachers that don't say this and it drives me nuts, if I ever say something that you think contradicts this book, I want to hear from you, ever. If I ever teach something that goes against the words of Christ, what's great is in this one it's all read, but, but the whole Bible, if I ever teach anything that goes against this book, you have my blessing and my request to email me, to call me, and to come by the church and tell me why you think so. Because I never want to teach false doctrine. I never want to instill anything in any of you as a teacher and as a pastor that would not be rooted in truth. And so sound doctrine is very, very important. There's a verse in the book of Ephesians, chapter 4, that says this, and, and I just want to read this to you briefly. Talking about understanding the truth. And he says, We will no longer, once we understand true doctrine, we will no longer be infants tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching in the cunning and craftiness of men and their deceitful scheming. People who teach false doctrine are those that seek those that don't know, that don't understand doctrine. And Paul gives that great illusion of being tossed back and forth by the wind. You know, some of us have met people like this, or some of us even had seasons in our life like this, where we read one author and say, oh, this author knows everything. And then we read another author and say, oh, this author knows everything. And what the Apostle Paul is saying is that sound doctrine comes from here. Not to be tossed to and fro by the wind and the waves. I love that image. Uh, I love that image because if anyone here has ever been to uh, the Pacific Ocean, I grew up by the Pacific Ocean, um, and if anyone's ever been to San Francisco or Northern California, the ocean is, um, it's, it, it's different. It's very angry. Um, as a child, we'd go to this place called Half Moon Bay, and this is the image I always think of, so allow me to describe it. This is a place called Half Moon Bay. And it was weird that we would go there because it was always cloudy and rainy, (laughs) but we'd always go to the beach there because that was the closest beach. And we would go, and it's funny because we have these pictures of all these cousins of mine in sweatshirts at the beach, kind of like Zurich in the summertime. You know, it's just, we don't know, I don't know why we went, but we're having a bonfire in July at the beach. It was weird. Um, But I remember going, and, and eventually... You have to get in the water, right? You're there, you're at the beach. It's like, you know, if you're hiking and you're at, you know, by a lake, and it doesn't matter how cold it is, you just kind of got to get in the water because you're there. And I would go in the water, and I remember my grandmother always telling me, and Jenna and I joke about this all the time, never turn your back on the ocean. And I was a great swimmer. I was on the swim team. I did all this wonder, But never turn your back on the ocean. And I always thought, why? Why in the world? That's such a silly rule. 
And we've all seen videos like this or, you know, videos of people taking selfies or something by the ocean. As soon as they turn their back on the ocean, what happens? The big wave comes, knocks them over, and they're in their clothes, and they're sprawled out all over the place and looking really, really foolish. This is what I think of when I think of false doctrine. I think of the cold beaches of Northern California, and I think of someone who's ignorant, someone who doesn't know any better, and they go walking out in the ocean, and they turn around and say, huh, what'd you say? And then no, without realizing it, this big, cold, icy wave comes and knocks them over. And then they're being tossed around, and they have no idea what's happening. When Paul talks about false doctrine, this is the image he's talking about, being completely disoriented and having no idea which way is up. It's not just about knowing what the Bible says and not says. It's about knowing what God desires of us. It's about knowing truth. And so when I talk about, self, or when I talk about sound doctrine, this is what I want us to focus on. I mean, I'm very passionate about this because Switzerland, in this church, I've noticed, is a very intelligent church, and this church is a very learned church, and people here know their Bible better than any church I've ever been in, so, you know, thumbs up to everyone. I've talked to people in churches who have been Christians for years, and they'll say things like, well, the Bible says God helps those that help themselves. No, it doesn't. It doesn't say that. I've looked. I can't find it. Brothers and sisters, I I say that because Paul was serious about it, because Jesus was serious about it. And, and, And when it comes to doctrine, we must know what the Word says. So that will come up more. Moving on, the second thing he says, myths and endless genealogies. Why does Paul mention this? Why does Paul mention myths and endless genealogies? What is he talking about? Well, oftentimes, um, and when we read the Bible, there are things in it that don't make sense to us in our time, right? There are things that are written for people in their time and in their place in history. And this is true of this passage right here a little bit. But the great thing about this, and the great thing about as we talk about true doctrine, is that things that were even written that Paul wrote to Timothy for the people of the city of Ephesus in the first century 2,000 years ago, the truth behind it is good for us to know, and we ought to know why he said it. And so here I'm going to give you a brief background on what he was talking about. Uh, We can talk about it more later as the weeks go on. Um, There was this thing in early church called Gnosticism. If you've ever heard that word before, it starts with a G, it's a silent G, Gnosticism. This was the beginning of Gnosticism, and the reason Paul said this, it was, a, it was a heresy, which means that the church basically said, hey, this is wrong, this is bad doctrine. But it was a heresy that essentially said, nothing of physical matter is good. Meaning that our bodies, our soul, or our, not our souls, our bodies, our, our minds, everything physical is bad. And that therefore, Jesus could never have actually been a real person. He was just a spiritual being, is essentially what this heresy said. Which initially may not seem that bad. But when you get to the crucifixion and the cross, and that Jesus died to sin, it becomes a problem. And so early on, the church said, this is bad. We don't believe this. But at the time, what was happening 
people were beginning to believe these things about spirits and these things about angels, and they were talking about, they were creating genealogies like in the Old Testament, like so-and-so had this person and this person and this person, and they were actually, people were creating genealogies of spirits and of angels to try and prove that they were somehow more holy or somehow better off than other people. And so when Paul says, don't devote yourselves to myths and endless genealogies, what he's saying is, these things we're talking about are speculation. These things the church is worried about in Ephesus, we don't know. And in fact, it's not rooted in sound doctrine. So don't waste your time with this. Furthermore, don't allow those people to continue as a leader. See, he's doing two things. He's saying stay away from them, but you also need to teach against them because they're creating divisions in the church. See, one great way that we can know when something is true or something is false is that which is false often creates great division among God's people. If you read Acts chapter 20 and 21, the Apostle Paul, when talking about the church in Ephesus, says that when he leaves, sheep or wolves will come in dressed in sheep's clothing to divide the church, to split the church apart. They will come and they will teach false doctrine. And this is what's happening. There were people who were teaching false things and splitting the church and saying that we are better or they are better. And Paul said, no, Christ is for all. We are all in this together. So don't listen to those people. Don't listen to the myth and the speculation. He says, get rid of it. Why? The third thing, the aim is love. This is the easiest one to understand, by the way. Love. In every, and I may not have understood this years ago, um, marriage really helps understanding this. And I'm not talking about a romantic love. I'm talking about a desire for what's best for the other person. True love is doing something for someone else, no matter what it costs you. Christ died for us, that we might be saved. And in the same way, there is no exception to this rule. In all relationships, in all leadership, we act on behalf of other people, out of a desire that Christ would be glorified. Out of every relationship we're in. And now there are times, obviously, when you know, we have to be safe and that sort of thing. But what, I, what Paul is saying here is this. Once we get away from love, once we get away from loving each other, once we get away from other people's interests and the best thing for other people, it leads to vanity, which is the next thing, the first thing I wanted to talk about. It leads to meaningless talk. These men that were dividing the church were essentially doing it to lift themselves up. They were doing it to stand up in front and say, look at how great I am. And it was leading people away from Christ. We all love vanity in some way, shape, or form. And I'm not really talking about, you know, making sure your, as my hair falls in my face, making sure your hair looks good in the mirror before you leave the house, making sure you have a nice shirt. I'm not talking about that sort of vanity. I'm talking about the vanity of the soul, the vanity where we desire praise, the vanity where we desire others to look to us and think, They have it all together. That's the vanity that Paul is talking about here. 
Myths lead us away from Scripture and away from what God is teaching us. And what happens is, is when we begin to believe these myths, then vanity creeps into our hearts and in our souls. And we tell ourselves that we're, we may not be perfect, but at least we're better than those people, right? Well, I may have had too much to drink, but at least I don't drink as much as those people. It's Colorado. This is one I, we always saw as well. At least I don't smoke weed like those people. And I thought, is this what Christ desires of the church? For vanity to come into our hearts and into our souls like, like a disease? And that we would think ourselves better than others because we somehow have been magically understand the grace of God? Do we sit around in a, in a circle and discuss all the things that we know? Or do we look to the truths of God that we might love other people more fully and more completely? I think about pastors. I'm not going to list any names, but we've all heard of the celebrity pastors. We've all heard of the people who probably at one time were men and women with a great calling on their life who vanity took hold of their soul and they decided to pursue the things of the world and pursue the myths of the world. And we know what happens, right? The churches become divided and become fractured. When a pastor or a leader or a leader of a family pursues vanity, the family is split. When a pastor pursues vanity and myths, the church splits. When a leader at work pursues their own ends rather than the ends of a company, the company fractures and frays. When love is not the center of all of these things, how can we go forward? See, the advice the Apostle Paul gives Timothy is not just a good idea for pastors. It's a good idea for all of us. And then he goes on in verse 8, and he at first, when I read it, he seemed to take kind of a, like a hard turn, right? He's talking about love, and he's talking about all these good things, but then he talks about the law. <laughs> and he, for some reason, he says the law is good. And I would like to point out that this, in fact, is true, <laughs> but I'm not really sure, or I wasn't at first read, sure why he said that. And then I began to look and, and see what he was saying. See, the first four things Paul mentions, that list we came up with, lead people to God, lead people to Christ. Remember, the aim is loving people that they would know God. And then he talks about the law here. And now there's some cultural reasons in Ephesus with the Jews and the Gentiles, but for us today and for the sake of time, let me just say this. The law, the Old Testament, is a good thing. It is a very good thing. There's a verse in in, in the minor prophet named Habakkuk who says, Behold the proud myths and vanity, the proudful person. Behold the proud, his soul is not upright in him, but the just will live by his faith. See, even in the Old Testament, even a long, long time ago before Jesus, those that were righteous in the eyes of the Lord were those that pursued God and pursued and did things out of faith and out of love to God rather than vanity and pride. 
And so when he says that the law is good, he is talking about it as a a litmus test or as a, a, a standard that we all must receive Christ. This is an exercise I've always done when it comes to this, to remind myself of why the law is good. Uh, If you go to the Ten Commandments in Exodus chapter 20, you don't have to go there now, but it's in Exodus chapter 20 if you want to go. And this is what the Lord says. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt I couldn't last one day without putting something before God. And then I look at number two. You should not make for yourself an idol. I'll be honest with you guys. I make idols every day. I put other things before God every day. I make idols of worship out of other things all the time. It's not intentional. I'm not carving little statues in my house and bowing before them. (laughs) But in my heart, I do things that I know God doesn't want me to do. And immediately now, the first two commandments I've failed at. And I realize that even if I could follow the law, which I can't, I would still need Christ. See, the reason he brings up the law here, he gives the list of all those different sins and everything. And we don't need to go into those tonight. But people were talking in circles. People were saying, don't worry about the Old Testament. Don't worry about the law. This is the way to Jesus. And talking about all these nonsensical things, when Paul says, no, true doctrine is found here. Understanding of God and what God desires of you in faith is found not only in Christ, but also in the law, in the writings of the Old Testament, in the prophets, in the Psalms. In all of these things. And then he says this last line that I just love. Or at the beginning, but think about it now and the whole thing. He says, we do all of these things in accordance with the gospel of the glory of the blessed God, which I have been entrusted. Paul teaches Timothy these things, not for Paul's sake. Paul didn't want to be famous. Paul wanted Christ to be famous. Myths and vanity. I'm not so sure the church isn't the same today. I don't know what it is in your heart. I don't know what it is in your life. But I was thinking of a few things for myself. The myths and the vanity in my own life. And one of them I was thinking of that has become very popular today is tolerance. People pride themselves on tolerance. I came from Denver, Colorado, as I said, and they had these bumper stickers there that drove me insane. You know, for some reason in the U.S., everyone's put stickers on the back of their cars. I don't know why. But they have this sticker that says, coexist. But the word coexist is spelled out with different religious symbols from all over the world. So the C is like the, 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 the moon of Islam, and then the O is uh, the, the yin-yang from, you know, and, and it goes through and spells out the whole world coexist, and the T is the cross. 
And I get so mad because it's fine that people want to believe that, but that's not what Jesus says. And I always say, listen, I understand the idea of loving your neighbor, and I understand the idea of being, you know, people, freedom, believe whatever you want, but good luck coming back when Jesus returns, or good luck coexisting, I mean, when Jesus returns, because Matthew 25 has this really pesky passage (laughs) where Jesus says, I'm going to return to earth with all of my angels, and the entire earth is going to bow before me, and I'm going to separate them, the sheep and the goats. Now, I don't hear coexist in that. I hear I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one will come to the Father but through me. Intolerance is something that I understand, and I understand we have to love each other, and we have to know, but if we know true doctrine, we can love our neighbor and still hold to the truths of Scripture. For some, it may be the complete opposite. How about that person who is so sure that they know what's right is they neglect love. You know, in English, we call these Bible thumpers. The people who preach fire and brimstone, turn to Jesus now or burn forever. Where's the love? If the aim is love, why are we not telling people about the love of Christ? Instead, why are we trying to scare people into heaven? (laughs) If I'm honest, it's probably why I became a Christian at like age 13. I thought, okay, um, hell or heaven. Hell's terrifying, so I'm going to choose heaven. Now, God is gracious and allowed me to understand his love and his mercy. But there are those who do the opposite, who, who only have doctrine but no love. And so my question to you today is this. What are the myths and vanity that you struggle with? Psalm 139 ends with the line, search me and know me and see if there's any wicked way inside of me. (laughs) Be brave and pray that prayer. What is the myth and what is the vanity that you desire and you seek? Where can you love people more wholly the way Paul called Timothy to do so? I tell you this right now, and this is difficult for me to say. Um, my, mine is in wanting to be good at my job. I'm new here, right? And this is a complete confession, uh, and I repent of it before all of you, that a large part of my heart desires to impress people. I want people to think I'm good at this. I want people to think I deserve to come here and work here. And I pray every day that the Lord would take that from me and that I can just simply teach you sound doctrine through the love of Christ because that's really my desire. But when I believe the lies that I have to have good performance and that we have to have this Sunday night service be filled with 200 people and a line out the door, then I start believing in myths and vanity. And God says, no, that's not why you do it. It's summertime. People are on vacation. If one person showed up tonight, I'd still preach this message because God told me to. As the Apostle Paul said, I am an apostle by command. (laughs) And the Lord called me here to do this job, not out of vanity, but out of truth 
in doctrine, in love, that you would know who Christ is and that you would be able to go then and share that with others the way Paul called Timothy to do so. That's how discipleship works, right? (laughs) We lead someone and then they lead someone and so on and so forth. It's my desire for this evening service. It's why I want to go through Timothy because I think there's many things we can learn together about how to do this, how to be disciples of Jesus Christ together. It doesn't matter what age we are, where we are in life, what our jobs are. We can be disciples of Christ. We can be true children of the faith and lead others to the same knowledge. Let's pray. Lord, thank you. God, we repent of the vanity that we have believed in and pursued. Lord, let us cast aside the myths we have believed. Lord, let us pursue sound doctrine for the sake of Christ because he loved us first, that we would love others. Let us be women and men who love above all things. Lord, you are good and your mercies endure forever. And tonight, that is why we praise you, trusting that our faith will lead to wisdom and understanding. In your name we pray. Amen.